0: Greetings and salutations, board game fans. The Dice Pirates are back. This is episode 38. We have returned. It has been quite a while since we sat down to talk. I do want to apologize to everyone. The summer has just been absolutely crazy for me, especially moving, switching job careers. Just the trips going on, just everything has been going on at once. It's been absolutely busy. I do apologize for us just dropping off the face of the earth, both with the podcast and also, you know, the Instagram account has definitely been uh, falling down a little bit as well. So as we move forward, definitely going to try and be a little bit more on top of that, uh, especially in terms of just the podcast itself. The For now, the captain's log, I think, is going to take a back seat. It's just not something that we can commit the time to. We are going to keep doing the podcast, hopefully bi-weekly, but at least probably once a month. It might be a little bit intermittent because, you know, things still being in flux, figuring out schedules, but we will continue. We're not just going to completely disappear. It has been fun. We do still have a lot to talk <laughs> about. Speaking of that, of course, I am joined as always by Matt and Aaron. How are you guys doing?
1: Oh, hi. Hi. Dice Pirates back. All right. Oh. Hey, we're, we're here, guys. Uh, We're back out of witness protection. Um, it's too bad this isn't a video all, podcast. No one got to all see of us. those. Yeah, I danced a little bit just now. Bust those nasty it, moves. Like I had my shoulders wiggling. My head was a bobbin. It was pretty cool looking. Um, So I, I'm sorry y'all had to miss that. Uh, We're back. I'm excited to be back. Uh, I'm excited to relearn how to do podcasting. I'm not sure that we knew entirely before but we're gonna get we're gonna get back into it now this is a great start this is a solid <laughs> like we're killing it right now
0: i mean i i find that generally the best way to get content is just to let you speak until you run out of things to say
1: <sighs> that and, will never uh, stop it
0: it, it works I have,
1: so, I have so many things to say and also at the same time so little to say <laughs>
0: All right. Well, of course, we are going to jump into it. And as always, we are going to start off with a soapbox. Uh, This one's almost more of a kind of collaborative soapbox because recently um, a Kickstarter showed up. And, uh, you know, of course, we, we like to talk about Kickstarters only when there's something interesting we have about it. And this one is actually quite fascinating because it is a legacy version of Sagrada, a game that we really enjoy. Definitely uh, one of my my wife's favorite games of all time, for sure. And this is a, a legacy version of that game called Sagrada Artisans. Uh, it is a very interesting uh, interesting approach to the game. Um, Matt, I know you have some, some thoughts on this one.
1: Oh, my lord. I have feelings. I have so many feelings.
0: Ian,
2: I, I appreciate your diplomatic intro there of... <laughs> Of calling it
1: interesting. Uh this is a coloring book (laughs) for grown people that has been sold for uh what is it, a hundred dollars? It's it's seventy five dollars
2: for the base game. Like the minimum to get the game to your house, seventy five dollars plus twenty dollars shipping. So, yes, it is... It is
1: $75 up and on up for a adult coloring book, which are great. We can all agree. But $75 for an adult coloring book with, like, a... Not even, like, the, the defining thing of Sagrada is the massive piles of uh, oddly delicious-looking uh, dice. There are 10 of these little translucent dice. Like, they, they have, like... Not only have they transformed sagrada into something that's overpriced and ludicrous they they somehow like robbed it of like one of the fundamental joys of the game which was tossing out the dice and sifting through them it's bonkers when i saw this i almost lost my mind like to your point sagrada like you said ian sagrada is a fantastic
2: game i will play that game anytime it comes it's it's in the rotation absolutely it's great it's quick it's snappy it's fun every time I don't need a 100 plus card story deck. I've never at any point playing Sagrada been like, like narratively, what's going on right now, guys? Are we, are we glaciers? Like, no, I don't. That's who, who is this for? I mean, obviously it's for the 1500 people that are backing on a Kickstarter right now, but (laughs) it's for those people for sure. And you, you, the more you scroll down the page, you get your, your four player journals or coloring books, you know, tomato, tomato, your, mm-hmm. your bag with your 10 dice that are 25% larger. So at least in <laughs> volume, dice, you, know? you know, I like,
0: I like big dice.
2: That's um, I, you can't, I like big dice
1: and I can't lie.
2: Can't forget. And this isn't even the bottom of the list of things they give you. It's this is a Kickstarter stars. bonus. They're proud of this gold star stickers.
0: <laughs> they gold do literal have gold star stickers. literal
2: actual genuine honest to yeah, god. This is ripped the things... from a primary school kid
0: gold star stickers. This is what kind of gets me about it. Is it's like conceptually I understand the idea of like you want to take this game and make something, Where you can, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, play it a bunch of times and feel like you're building a story. I suppose you get to like have tools that you craft that follow you. You get to sort of uh, change like the abilities that you have you can like make you know your family of artisans as you progress through the the decades and try yeah. and make it so that you can approach yeah. the the glass window in a different way so it gives you like you know abilities you can work on and i'm sure, I'm sure if you got into the story it could be interesting but it, the price is interesting because i mean also it's a coloring book you're <laughs> not gonna erase the coloring book you can purchase a uh, a refill if you wish, that is sure. actually something that they you know even have in there. You can, US you can fifty U.S. dollars, fifty dollars for okay. a refill, and uh, but that that's interesting. It's like you know, I mean, the nice thing about the original game is you can just play it as many times as you want. Like I understand that sometimes a legacy game, you know, I mean, famously some legacy games actually do include destruction of of various things, but you know, this one didn't need it. I think it's just it it doesn't. Like you said, it doesn't fit the story in the way I would have wanted it to. I mean, the story of Sagrada itself is actually an intensely fascinating one. Oh, uh, yeah. And getting to visit was so cool. I will say, though, as a, a final point, the thing that irks me most about the entire Kickstarter... Is that when you get down to it, there is a board that you have. It's where you put your dice on as you're rolling them, where you can choose the colors from. And it has, you know, images of the towers and the large tower that is there. And they call it the Cathedral Board. <laughs> now, this is a gross inaccuracy. Because, in uh, fact, Sagrada is not a cathedral and will never be a cathedral. snap. A cathedral is, is specifically <laughs> the house of a bishop it is where a bishop resides this is you have been rebuked sagrada sagrada is not a cathedral it is in fact a basilica and it will remain a basilica until the end of time
2: and i mean basilica board
0: like it's alliterative it's evocative what's a basilica i want to know know more it's no no research was done very disappointing to me
1: that's that yes that's the most egregious part of this is the lack of research (laughs) (laughs) for sure you really nailed it that's you got Got him him. (laughs) bardle uh no really though you are totally right like why was this necessary my final rant on this and then we can move on to the real episode is it just this whole thing that's happening right now where all of these people are like can, I, can how can we take a familiar board game name and reintroduce it into the marketplace at a much higher price point that's we're seeing that over and over again and it is driving me crazy it was like the agricola legendary edition or something nonsense uh <laughs> This, I forgot uh, I about mean, that. You just made me
2: mad about that again.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh the, I mean, arguably, the castles of Burgundy, deluxe edition, which, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I was ench- enchanted by, and partially feel responsible for willing it into existence on this show. But uh still, I mean, come on, did we need that? Is this is this what we really want out of the direction of the industry? Is this constant recycling of old ideas? and making them somehow worse and more expensive at the same time, I don't get it.
2: I mean, how does the verse go? There's nothing new under the sun. At least, I will say, at least in the defense of the Castles of Burgundy, I feel like that one justified its price. Was it stupidly overproduced? Yes. But that was the point of it. Like, it it was meant to be a crazy overproduced collector's edition fine art this is my game that i play every week and i want to have the absolute nicest version of that that's easier for to swallow for me than what if sagrada but you had to do all the design work also and it's a hundred dollars
0: it feels like this could have been something that they could have made half as big and it could have been an extension of the main game potentially yes something that yeah. didn't cost as much it's you know like like you said you know like there are luxury editions i mean look at the luxury edition of suro you know something that cost what, 350 oh. at the base level you know 700 i think was the, the, the standard like, yeah I... it, it's insanely expensive but it's also it i mean it, you know you know the luxury wooden box with the wooden, you know, actually like you know ebony stones. I mean, you know, exactly. like there it, are there are luxury editions itself. and there are luxury editions. It's an so art this piece. Is, You know, it'll be interesting to see you know pictures when this comes out. And uh, I mean, you know, I'm sure it'll be pretty, you know, when people are able to color it in. But it is a fascinating Kickstarter, uh, to be sure. We're actually going to go ahead and move on in honor of returning to the podcast. I have prepared a Bitter Board Gamers for you
1: guys. (laughs) I'm feeling especially bitter tonight. Let's (laughs) do it.
0: All righty, so we're going to start off with our first game. Hopefully, you guys can get this one. Here's your first review. Played once, won once, 100% win rate. Game is a luck fest dumpster fire. Broken disaster of a game. May as well assume I will never win a lottery, get struck by lightning. Or get bit by a shark for the rest of my life with the amount of luck that I expended to win. I uninstalled the video game on Steam. I never want to see this IP for the rest of my life.
1: Wait, is a video game not a board game?
0: It's a board game.
2: Okay, well, hang on. Now I gotta. Now I gotta open up my Steam library because I own most of the <laughs> Steam board games, <laughs> so, so I can oh, I can roll this down for myself.
1: Is it uh, what's that like farming game that was really popular? Is it Harvest Moon?
0: It's not Harvest Moon, but you are on the right path. <sighs>
2: Stardew Valley?
0: It, it is Stardew that's a, Valley. That was what i going for. Well done Somebody that.
2: won that game? <laughs> oh, I'm back so strong, unlike my first that's guess. The, that's the crazy part. I thought that game was unwinnable.
1: Uh, yeah, I saw a review of that. Uh, the good, kind people over at Shut Up and Sit Down reviewed that, and I thought, ooh, that game looks... Tedious. <laughs> really tedious. And I don't care enough about the IP to ever want to play that.
0: I actually had the chance to play this game. I played it a couple times. Um, yeah. The, uh, a friend of ours was super, super into Stardew Valley. Huge Stardew Valley fan. Uh, and so uh, she actually got the board game for a present for her birthday. And so she brought it over, as my friends often do when they get a board game. They do not open the game. They instead bring it to me, and they tell me to teach them the board game. Uh, <laughs> oh, so. God.
1: So, board game so, board
0: game sure. So sorry <laughs> so i so i learned it and i played it and this is actually a game i think i'd like to talk about at some point for on the podcast but it is it is an interesting game uh it requires i think if you're going to enjoy it you have to house rule a bunch of stuff because otherwise it is just too punishing that is a, yeah. obviously story for another day we're going to talk about at some point because it is a very interesting okay, i'm looking forward to adaptation. that adaptation so we're going to go ahead and move on to our second game. This will actually be our final game. We're going to stick with two this time, keep it nice and short. Here is your first review. The more of these undercooked Yahtzee spin-offs I play, the more I have to respect Garfield's King of Tokyo. A quick simple affair where the only way forward is to actually move forward. Here, instead you get lots of different actions, many of them completely useless with even more ever-changing effects that can easily make some players ponder for several minutes and then still take back their moves after they've spent half their dice. While other times you can do nothing much at all except wait for 10 minutes until it's your turn again. Add a bucket full of take-that effects I that can sometimes cancel out entire turns and make the game regress instead of move forward, and I am almost guaranteed to have a miserable time.
1: Oof. That's a bummer of a review. I'd probably like this game, though. Probably... <laughs> It probably it seems like a bunch of random nonsense. All right, you do so like Scott, this game, I do like this game. Oh, I've played this game. Yeah. Uh. Oh, is it Elder Sign? It's not Elder Sign. Okay.
0: Bucket of status effects. All right. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a second review. I used my initial culture and didn't get any more for several rounds, even though I was actively trying to get more. People kept stopping me on my turn to figure out if they wanted to use theirs instead. It was a terrible experience. Don't think I'll ever play this one ever again.
2: Is it Tiny Epic Galaxies?
0: It is Tiny Epic Galaxies. Oh,
1: come on. What?
0: That's
1: That's that's not a... That person is
0: incorrect.
1: Yeah, it's not a... uh, I wouldn't put it in... Okay. I wouldn't put that anywhere near in the category of like a King of Tokyo. Right. I spent a long time stuff played King of Tokyo, but doesn't it you seem more? You have so much control, and yeah, yeah, it's not nearly as Yahtzee like. Is yes, not nearly as Yahtzee like as King of Tokyo. I, I mean, do. you do roll dice to get your actions every turn, but there's the ways you can convert dice and do lots of different things. What a dingus!
0: It does make you wonder how often, when you read these one star reviews, it people misunderstood the game and perhaps were playing it
1: incorrectly. <sighs> no. I'm about to get on a milder rant. See, it's the whole there's there's a certain school of person that like um, has a knee jerk reaction to every dice driven game, and they go with like the Yahtzee comparison, which is also King of Tokyo. Like the like everything is that that has dice. Like it's a but no dice games can be thoughtful. Dice rolling is fun. Dice can be made to be strategic. I think Tiny Epic Galaxies. Does a great job of it. The dice narrow your options on any given turn, but you still have a lot of choices of what to do with the dice you did roll. And there's the follow mechanic, which opens the whole game up. Tiny Epic Galaxies is a good piece of game design. It's probably the single best thing that Gamelin's done. They've been if we're being honest about Gamelin, they're all over the map in terms of quality. Their games are uniformly cute and delightful to look at, but they're not always that great. But Gamelan, uh, but Tiny Epic Galaxies, I think, is their unimpeachable classic.
2: As a as a gameland apologist, I will wholeheartedly agree that regardless of your feelings on their oeuvre, even specifically just the Tiny Epic series, Galaxies is head and shoulders the best game they've put out.
0: It is a really nice little game. It's one we should probably do like an entire Tiny Epic uh, episode at some point that'd be that'd be pretty fun but yeah this one is great especially i think at a three to three player counter so once you get more people it does tend to drag a little bit more so than you'd expect but no it's a great little game that of course is Bitterboard board gamers we're going to go ahead and move on to our main discussion we're going to break down a couple of our favorite games that we've played this summer we'll be right back in just a second
1: Alrighty, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates, where we're going to get ready to dive into our main topic this week, which is uh, a classic, a throwback, another Dice Pirates triple header. That's where we uh, review and or break down three games that we are currently digging. And tonight we're going to be taking a look at uh, three uh, very different games. Uh, that is uh, Living Planet, Massive Darkness 2, and the, Sagra- not Sagrada, the Splendor expansions. I uh, almost messed it up, but I did. All right, we're going to start out with Aaron. What's up with this Living Planet game? And is it about Ego the Living Planet from Marvel? It is not. Uh, Living Planet is a, it's your,
2: your bog standard. You are playing a corporation, exploiting the resources of a planet, getting out as much as you can. At the end of the game, the planet explodes, and whoever <laughs> made the most money is the winner. <laughs> that's like, not funny I mean, but it is funny I love <laughs> capitalism <laughs> it's a, a very very tried and true uh, theme in games yeah so it's a true to life game it's not actually absolutely. a game this is yeah, just no, what we're is, doing it's basically a documentary um, it had some really interesting mechanics the, the way the game works the, the thing that I think if I designed this game this is the idea that I come up with first and then I build the rest of the game around it You have a hand of six cards uh, representing a six-sided die, number one through six. And on your turn, you play one of the numbers, and your numbers will stay on the table until you've played out your hand, and then you get all your cards back. So you can't keep playing the same number over and over. And there are three phases that everyone goes through. So everyone puts in a number, and then the lead player of that round collects uh, the dice in all four player colors and sets them on the action board in whatever order they decide. So you have this enormous decision space as the lead player of you don't have to put them in numerical order. you don't have to put them, you know, you decide player order for the round. So you get to decide, do I want to go before Ian? Do I want to go after Matt? I, had, I, I was miserable at that part of the game because there's so many decisions there and I felt like I was constantly making the wrong ones. Then you have... So you everyone puts in their number. The lead player, whatever number they play, will have some bonus effect for them that they must take. It might be permanently removing one of a resource from the game, accelerating the game, and also lowering the supply of that good. It might double production of a certain type of good for all players, not just you. Um, It might be reclaiming one of your cards a turn earlier than you would normally, so you can play that number again before your hand runs out. And then in player order, everyone gets to take two actions and the value of the two actions, there are six to choose from. You can take any two that are different. The power of that action is determined by the number you played. So if you play a six, then you have six points of movement to use as one of your actions if you take movement. Uh, and it
0: looks it looks like this game is like you said, you know, you're you're getting stuff out of the planet, but it looks like you're actually exploring. You build the map yes. as so you play. It's, like it gets uh, like you have hex tiles that you put yeah, down on the you've table got these, that you actually these explore. Big chunky hex
2: tiles that you're uh, adding to the board. That's part of your, your movement and exploration. Um there are also there's resources printed on the tiles, and you can build refineries that extract that type of resource, that whatever's printed on there. And what's interesting is when you build a factory, you immediately put, it, put your guy in there who, who was on the tile that you used to build it. And then if you want, you can put a computer in there, but you don't have to because it costs extra. And if you don't have a guy or a computer in a factory... Nobody owns it. Anybody can go in there and then when it's time to activate, the factories all have a number 1 through 6 and they will all activate depending on the numbers that everyone chose. So if I go into a 2 factory that produces crystals and Ian plays a 2, that will activate the crystal factory with a value of 2 that I'm standing in and I will gain the benefit from that. So the the decision space that you have there of what number do i want to play where do i want to go do i want to abandon this factory on this turn and try and build something else somewhere else even though it's going to cost me money because this is not a good tile and then every tile also has hazards on it that are represented by a color die and a number so if there's a tile on the board that has a blue two Then, whenever the blue player plays the two card, every building on that tile is going to suffer damage. Either your guy in there is going to get knocked out, your computer gets blown up, or the building itself gets destroyed if there's nothing else to block it.
0: So, this is. So, it sounds like there's actually quite a lot of, like, player interaction within oh, the game it, like as you so explore much. like it is it's a medium weight it's around 3.5 I think on on BGG and I'm curious so like is it, you obviously there's a lot of decision space that you have, you know, in what turn order do people go in? How much action points are you going to play, you know, for each turn, you know, where do you go and what do you put down? But do you find, like, once you get into the flow of the game, is it a very complex game? Like, it, does it actually feel that complex once you get into it? Or is the complexity more, uh, more surface level? And once you get the, the feel of the game, it's more, it's easier to figure out what your next move is logically.
2: The complexity really comes from knowing what it's it's it utilizes that mechanic in a lot of good games of it's as much about playing the other players as it is playing the game itself. It's because everyone's discard pile okay, so side rant mini mini soapbox here. Hidden but trackable information is bad game design. If a core tenant of your game is contingent on some players forgetting some stuff and I can overcome that challenge of your design with a notepad or my phone and just typing stuff (laughs) in there, then what's the point of it being hidden? Right. Your resources, your money, and the cards that you have previously played are secret information, but if I wanted to, I could keep track of it. So what's the point of it being hidden so you have to kind of remember ian's already played his two matt's already played his two i don't really want to be at the two factory because then i have to play the two in order to activate this factory but yeah. i'm pretty sure neither one of you have played a six yet so i kind of want to eke over to the six factory but oh wait what's that you guys both played it and i forgot
1: so yeah, i don't I did know how i feel about that that's not really hidden information. That's just counting on your inability to keep track of a lot of information. But yeah, somebody hidden. that's unusually good at, at remembering these details or just literally taking notes is gonna be able to See, I was I was just thinking puzzle. that's
0: actually kind of the game I feel like i I feel like I'd enjoy that actually, because I think there's a lot of like, uh, just knowing what other people have, you know, like keeping track of what other people are, are doing, that, that's actually something I think I would enjoy.
1: Yeah, I can a, see you doing in that. In a similar <laughs>
2: vein to uh, games where um, electioneering is very important, being able to be a good salesman of yourself is an important mechanic, why I think those are bad games. That's mm-hmm. also why I think hidden but trackable information games are bad, because I have poor short-term memory. Sure. So it's it's something that I specifically personally am very bad at. So like that shouldn't be in games because it's unfair to me specifically Unfair no, to the, the, the human personally. Game. Yes. Sure. So that's why those games are bad. Um, also one thing one minor niggle that I had about it. You have your your player board, your little uh, player screen where you hide your money and your resources that everyone saw you take and anyone with good memory will beat you. Mm-hmm. And it has your scoring over here, your, like, this is what it costs to build buildings, and then your actions. But nowhere on there are the free actions that you're allowed to take that are just buried in the rule book that the person who was teaching us the game, he did tell us that those were things we could do. But that was like mile marker five in the 30 minute rules explanation. So by the time we got to the game, nobody remembered that that was a thing that we could do Mm -hmm. because, and I think part of it was we had the thing that explained all of the actions we could take, except for those two bad player aids are worse than no player aids. I think if we hadn't had that at all, we would have, done better remembering, or at least had to ask more.
0: Yeah, because that limits your decision space to what you're looking at, especially when there's so much new new stuff to learn.
2: If I'm presented with six out of my eight actions just right here in front of my face, I'm never going to think of those other two. But uh, all of that aside, I did enjoy the game. Uh, I think playing it a second time, not at 11 o'clock at night, would probably... I would enjoy it better now that I know the rules. Um, it's I think it just started co- going out to, to... I think it was a Kickstarter, and I think it just started shipping recently. Um, so I don't know if it's available to pick up. I don't think you should take my not liking it, because, again, I was tired, it was late, I was kind of ready to go home, but the person who brought it really wanted to play it, and you know, social pressure, and then also it had mechanics that I'm personally very bad at, so I didn't like it for that. Uh, I, Outside of that, I do recognize there are some really, really cool design ideas, and again, the everyone picking a number and then the lead player for the round deciding turn order based on that is such excellent design. I would love to see that re-implemented in a game that I could be good at.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting a really cool stuff. <laughs> a lot of really fascinating stuff that sounds in the game. I'd actually love to give that a shot at some point. It's also, just visually, it actually looks really cool. Like the yeah. design of the game, fantastic. It reminds me a lot of uh, On Mars. Um, and, yeah. uh But, you know, maybe a more accessible exploration-focused version of On Mars. Uh, mm-hmm. The play style actually reminds me a lot of an RTS game that... I enjoyed a bit of. It's called Off World Trading Company. It was literally mm. a uh, e- economy real time strategy game. Is that the game
2: where you're buying and Mars. selling human organs?
0: No, no, you're buying and selling <laughs> stock in the opponent opponent uh, companies. So your your goal is to buy every other company. But it's very similar. You know, you you spread out and you try to. To gain resources and make the most money but it's very visually i love the way this game looks you know it sounds like a lot of interesting ideas i look forward to hearing more about the game as you play it more often but it sounds like it's one to keep an eye on
2: i was thinking of space warlord trading simulator just in case anyone heard game about buying and selling human organs and got curious that's the name uh, of the game i
1: was thinking I, I was worried that that maybe wasn't a game it's just something that you do on the side i don't know <laughs>
2: i mean look i don't guys, know what the, you're involved in the podcast was gone for a while i got bored yeah it's a pandemic gotta oh gotta get my money
1: it's a pandy
2: in this economy
1: in this economy
0: all right so i'm gonna go ahead and talk about uh as you know you mentioned matt i'm gonna talk about the splendor expansion uh i picked this up the other day i didn't even know splendor had uh an expansion uh I was unaware of it until I went to my local board game store. Yeah, Uh, moving in here, Days of Nights. uh, Today, year
1: old when I learned. Yeah, Days Uh, of Nights. Days of Nights. That's That's a. a It's a very
0: dork game store name, but that makes it a
2: good game store name.
0: Absolutely, I I love it. They got a pretty good selection of things, and uh, they had Cities of Splendor, and so I picked it up. It was forty dollars. I was like, seems potentially high for an expansion, but here's the thing. When you purchase the expansion, it comes with not one, not two, not three, but four mini expansions Whoa. in the box. So it is actually four $10 expansions that you can add on to the game and you can mix and match with as you please, which I thought was quite fascinating. Uh, it didn't really make that clear on the box uh if you weren't looking at it super closely but it was a fun little surprise so this is uh less of a triple header and more of a quintuple header if you will i'm glad you did that math
2: for us (laughs) (laughs) that's not a word (laughs) also i think it's a sextuple because you've got four and then we've got one each.
1: excuse me stop (laughs) stop watch yourself
0: I'm going to edit out everything you said because I want to sound smarter than you. Um, That's not hard. But it's Because one of the things about Splendor that I really like is the simplicity of it. It is a very basic game, but it has a hook that really grabs you. And the gameplay is very quick and easy to pick up, and it's very satisfying. So there's a, a bunch of different expansions with varying levels of complexity that they have. So the first one I tried out was the strongholds expansion so with the strongholds expansion this is really interesting and i would love to play this again with a a larger player count because the way that this works is you are given three little strongholds they are small little plastic towers that you are given in front of you which also you know they're little plastic 3d printed towers which are not terrible but it's also i mean not 100% 100% in line with the nice chips, you know, but it, it could be worse uh, Feel-wise they're fine, but these are really interesting because they they really change the dynamic of the game and the way You play because normally, you know as you know with splendor each turn You're gonna either purchase a card on the table with the gems that you have or you're gonna pick up some gems this time what you can do is every time you purchase a card you also get to put a stronghold down on the table. And what this does is when you put a stronghold down, you put a stronghold on one of the cards and nobody can take that card anymore. You have locked that card. So it is essentially like reserving a card, but it's still on the table. And so when somebody else purchases a card, they can remove your stronghold if they want. So there's a give and take here, like a back and forth where you're trying to like, reserve card sort of soft reserve cards keep people from picking them up or if you want to stop somebody from getting a card it looks like they're going for but also Mm. you don't want to take the effort of reserving it for yourself you can stop them from doing that but you also can remove them where it gets interesting because you could spread all three of them out and you could just lock down a bunch of the board but you also can put your stronghold on the same card that your stronghold was already on you have three of these if all three of your strongholds are on a card you can get that card for free You don't have to spend money on it. You don't have to spend anything. You just get it. So if people aren't paying attention and you get a bunch of strongholds down, all of a sudden you just got a five point card for free. You know, like you got a a level three card if you're going for that instead. It's really interesting. Now, if you're playing with two people, it really breaks down because Mm -hmm. I put it down the next turn. Somebody picks it up. I put it down the next turn. Somebody picks it up or what happened when my wife and I played is that she did a little bit better than I did. I put one down, she picked it up, I didn't take a card, then she took a card, she put it down, and it just started snowballing on me. She started picking up lots of cards, I didn't have as many cards, she was purchasing way more cards, and all of a sudden, you know, I was I was getting nothing. And, you know, so, with two people, doesn't really work. Kind of breaks the game entirely. But... It's interesting because it actually really changes the way you play the game with more people. I'm really interested to to play this with more.
1: Ooh, um, I would love to play that.
2: So I have a question: Does it make Splendor into a game that is good and fun?
0: I think so. I mean, I think it adds a dimension <laughs> to the game that is. I mean, it it does introduce potentially more take that, and uh, you know, it's it, it's just different. I think it adds enough variation. To the game. There's a couple other, obviously, there, you know, there's three more expansions. Another one that they have is the Cities expansion. Now, what this does is it removes the Noble tiles. Instead of, you know, with the Noble tiles, where you have to have a certain number of each uh, type of, you know, colored card. In this one, instead, you do have, uh, once again, like requirements, you know, number of color cards, a certain number, but you also have a certain number of points that you have to be at to get a city card or to get a city tile the difference with the city tiles and the noble tiles is that there's no longer a point limit where if you get to 15 points you win with the city tiles once you pick up a city tile one more round finishes the round will finish and then the game's over if you were the only one to pick up city tile you win if two people have picked up a city tile the person with the most points wins so this one was really weird because it changes the end goal of the game a lot and so it's kind of like you are rushing to get that city as soon as possible, but if mm-hmm. you're just one turn later than the person next to you, I mean, you you know you're not going to make it even if you were going if you're going for the same one, you know, points-wise. This was so that was an interesting one. It was it, it was interesting, you know, removing the nobles entirely because that's a whole yeah. scoring mechanism. This one kind of dragged games out a little bit longer obviously because of, you know, the way that you're playing it instead of you know, in, instead of picking up cards and building up towards the nobles you are instead trying to amass all of these things to get to the city tiles and because you don't have the nobles to get that influx of points towards the end it really slowed the game down a lot so it made it a much more kind of building up as many possible cards so you're just grabbing cards every single turn it was it was a much different way to play and i didn't enjoy that one as much the last two were fairly similar so the last two one of them is a trading post this one actually sped up the game a lot and i actually did like this one a lot so you want my that, attention. Yeah, so the trading post works is essentially you have a uh, there's a an, an additional board that you put above. And uh, there are requirements that you meet, and once you meet a certain requirement, you then gain a tool that you are able to use. For instance, if you have three red cards and one white card, then every time you purchase a development card, you also get a token. So it, this one, you as you progress through the game, as you get certain numbers of cards, you all of a sudden get benefits that are going to make your game even stronger. You know, for instance, like oh, if you have if you take two gem tokens of one color, you can also take one token of another color. So instead of having to limit yourself to either two tokens or three tokens, it's three tokens either way. Mm-hmm. Now the one interesting thing is that it does because the requirements don't change it means that if you play with this everyone's going to be focused on the exact same color cards it's kind of a race for those specifically as opposed to in normal splendor where you can kind of go for your you can try to go for something other people aren't going for but i think it was really interesting because it did it slightly shifted the perspective of the game without completely changing the way the game was scored, completely Mm. changing the way the game was played, and it gave you those bonuses. So once you started going, it made you move even quicker, and the game did go a little bit faster. So I liked that one a lot. The last one was probably the oddest of the bunch. You actually get an entirely new deck of cards that go to the right, and you can purchase these cards, and those are like... Soup, these are super powerful cards. Some of them provide one-time bonuses and then you get rid of them. Some of them are attached to other cards. It's. I've played with this one the least. It is, in my opinion, I think the weakest one. It's interesting and it, it gives more cards, but it just dilutes the game experience itself so much that I think it's probably the weakest of them. I, I You mm-hmm. know, you have like cards where you get two gold tokens when you purchase that card. You just get two gold tokens straight up. You only get it one time. And so you might think to yourself, well, why am I even purchasing this card? Because I just slowed myself down. It's—I pr- th- I think overall it's the weakest of them. But I thought it was really cool to get four different expansions in the same box that you can try if you just want something different. And some of them were actually really cool.
1: Can you play with multiple expansions at the same time? I was about yes. to ask that.
0: Yeah, some of them Could... do actually move together. Like for instance, uh, you can't—like if you use the Cities expansion, obviously you get rid of the noble tiles. Right. So you'd have to get rid of those, but you can still use potentially the strongholds
1: expansion mm-hmm.
0: with the city's expansion. You could just put the strongholds down so you can actually mix and match these about as much as you want. I think there's only, I, I think there's only like two of them that can't be used together. I can't remember the details of the exact rules, but yeah. for the most part you can like kind of play with them a little bit. If you want the, the bonuses on top, but you also want to slow the game down some, the, yeah. uh, you know, you can change to uh, kind of move it around. It's pretty neat.
1: I like this idea, and you know, it's it's been done before, but I like these like smaller adjustments to a game, like mini expansions versus like big clunky kind of things that, like, are like you never want to add the expansion in because it's like a lot of extra cards or whatever. Like, I, I've been in that situation where it's like, ugh, I'm not going to play with the expansion because I don't want to set all that up. This is nice. It's also, there's much simpler. It's like little tweaks to the game. It's also really fascinating. Uh, when you have a game that people are as familiar with as Splendor, that they've probably played to death and really have their strategy honed in, um, I like the idea of these like small adjustments that force you to kind of rethink the game in a, in a different way. Like this, the the strongholds is like that totally changes the the balance of power of the game in like an interesting way. Oh yeah, and uh, so yeah, this that's cool. I'm glad you picked yeah. that up.
0: No, I think it was, it was really cool. I think overall, I mean, I don't think it will ever truly replace base Splendor for me. That game is perfect as it is, and I, I still really enjoy it. But I think it's worth, if you enjoy the game a lot, I think it's worth picking this up, just because it does introduce a little bit of variety into it. Yeah. It can actually be a lot of fun.
1: It sounds like, crucially too, if you don't like Splendor, like Aaron Notorious does not like Aaron. Uh, the, I don't think anything in this box is going to make him like Splendor.
0: Pro- probably not, because that's because he is a bitter person.
1: I mean, the, person. the one that makes the game end
2: faster? Definitely interested in that one. <laughs> would would check that out.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no expansion that just makes the game not exist. I'm sorry, Aaron.
1: uh I, I will say, if you, uh, if you want the games to end very fast, play Splendor on Board Game Arena. And uh, those people are real good at Splendor, buddy. If you think you know how Splendor works, go play against... Uh, couple of randos from europe and uh watch the game end in 10 minutes and somebody score like 78 points or something
2: i mean you know uh, uh splinter on board game arena is great though because it has the little eyeball where i don't have to look at what i have and <laughs> look takes at away the, the one element of t- <laughs>
0: yeah and
2: like actually think and like crunch numbers in my head it, it even puts a little highlight around you can get this one you
1: can get this yeah. one Hey, Dummy, this one's this one's a yeah, good one. Yeah, no,
2: that's great. That makes it a perfect, like, I just I just want to play a board game for, like, it 15, has, 20 minutes.
1: It has Hey, Dummy mode. Hey, <laughs> Dummy, this <laughs> card's available. Uh, okay.
0: All right, so I know, Matt, you're going to finish this off. You want to talk about Massive Darkness 2. It wouldn't be... True Dice Pirates episode. If you didn't finish it off with a nice dungeon crawl,
1: man, you know, I'm the, I'm the, I feel like I'm doing work out here as the grand ambassador, possible patron saint of dungeon crawlers. Uh, I'm trying to keep this genre alive and relevant. Uh, yes, I've been dying to play to play, I've been dying to talk about this game because we've been playing it uh, all summer long here in the Dice Pirates uh, headquarters. Me and me and the crew, we've got a campaign going. I've got thoughts and feelings about it, mostly positive, but I'm going to give you uh, a one-sentence review of this game that will tell you whether or not you like it at all. Mass Darkness 2 is Diablo the board game. Uh, They've pretty much captured, for better or worse, the the core gameplay loop experience of Blizzard's ClickFest uh, action RPG series. And if you like Diablo, and you think that's a fun way to spend your time, you will really like Mass Darkness 2. If you hate diablo and it's randomness and it's kind of arbitrary in game of collecting sets of armor then uh you will probably run into some of the same things you don't like about that in massive darkness 2 Massive darkness 2 is uh as close as we're going to get to a diablo board game until blizzard launches their board game division um yeah come on, I, cowards. come on cowards you can do it um, but overall, I really like it. If you like dungeon crawls, you're going to like it. Um, let me give you a little more context. Uh, I, I'm not going to attempt a rules explanation here. It's it's too much. It's it's clunky. It does all the things that... Are, uh, uh, it's it's a, a CMON game. It's a CMON <laughs> game. It's got about, like... It, it, it needed an editor probably somewhere in the rules. Um, the actual kind of flow of each round does take a little bit to get your head around. I think we've sort of struggled with some, keeping all the rules in our heads, like moment to moment, you'll be thumbing through the rules, but you know, there's nothing in it that's going to shock you. If you've ever played a dungeon crawl. you know, you're moving around, you're opening doors, you're killing monsters, you're getting treasure. Uh, there's lots of rules guiding all aspects of that. Uh, if you played the first of Mass the first massive Darkness, it's also not going to be hugely dis- d- different than what you played before. But there are some very important tweaks in two ways, and uh, I'm going to get into what I think makes it great and why it's very different and a big improvement from the first game. So the first thing I would say about this that really stuck out to me is I've never played a dungeon crawler like this where the classes or characters that you pick from feel as distinct and unique. So every variant of a game like this has like the pile of, uh, RPG stock characters, right? The rogue, the wizard, the paladin, the blue, blah, blah, blah. this, this has it all. all, you know, your cast of favorites. They're all there. Uh, and in most of those games, in most, every dungeon crawl you ever played, it's, you know, every character basically plays the same with a couple of unique powers. The rogue, can move through shadows. The wizard has a fireball, but essentially everybody is just move and attack, move and attack with a few extra little things in here. Uh, every class in Massive Darkness Two plays totally different. They have totally unique mechanics, not just mechanic, not just different rules or abilities they have, but like it's a, it's almost like an asymmetrical board game. So, for example, I'm playing a rogue in this, and I have a t- it has a totally unique thing I've never seen in a game before. Where I have a draw bag of little tiles. At the start of my turn, I draw three tiles out of the bag, and that gives me three things, that uh, uh, three rogue tricks that I can do. Whenever I go to do an action on my turn, you get three actions on your turn. When I spend an action, I have to spend one of my tokens. And it may give me a bonus towards what I'm doing. It may give me a unique power, like being able to poison an enemy. Uh, It may let me uh, uh, sprint ahead in extra spaces and do an attack on a move, which is normally something you can't do. Basically, you literally have a bag of tricks as a rogue, and it is super fun. It's the coolest, yeah, yeah, it's the coolest implementation of the idea of a rogue. There's a randomness to it that some people aren't gonna like, but as someone who's even in this episode on the record with liking dice and randomness, I love it. I draw my hand into my little black bag and I pull out three things, and it's like, ooh, how can I use this? I've got the poison icon the attack and move, and I've got an extra reroll. Okay, what can I do with that to make some magic happen on this turn? So you definitely feel like a rogue all of a sudden like doing this. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, uh, Max is over here uh, playing as a paladin. And he's got a whole different thing going on. Every turn, he's plopping out zones around the board that grant buffs and enhancements to the different players. And he's moving those around. So maybe like one of his, like puts you in darkness, which gives you advantages on certain attacks. And so this one lets you heal. And he's doing, uh, he's doing a whole different set of things that I don't even have access to. And then the most different character of all, uh, Dennis is over here playing a necromancer. Spoiler, not in the base game. That's one of the many, uh, <laughs> that's one of the many Seamon. Uh, uh, stretch goal things that you're not going to get if you just buy the base box. But the Necromancer has this entirely different thing. He's got a sideboard where he's tracking souls that he's absorbing and spending them to summon skeletons and absorb damage. So three totally different mechanics are playing out around the table. And literally every hero in the box is like that. Uh, The Ranger, uh, which I haven't played yet, but I looked at the rules and almost played. The Ranger has this totally wild push your luck mechanic where when you're getting ready to make range attacks with your bow, like you draw card, you put down cards like you're playing a game of blackjack. And the more you put down, the more damage you're doing with the shot. But you can bust, and you're uh, mm. you're and, and then you take damage. Like your arrow is too powerful, and you get burned. It's, it's Kind of pushing your luck to. It's a t- yes. It's really crazy. So it's basically the idea of like holding the shot and seeing like aiming. The longer you like focus. With your bow drawn, like you're doing more damage, but if you bust, you take damage. That's crazy. That's mind-blowing. That's such a fun idea of like taking the idea of the marksman character. So that is an immediate like standout element to this, is that they're taking all these stock RPG archetypes, and instead of it being like just a couple of the unique powers that you play by just putting a card down, like you're physically playing a different game than the other people around the table. And it makes me want to play it more, it makes me want to try out different classes. Nuts. Yeah, I, Love I really
2: like that. Just the that's, idea. I mean, that's you know stuff like Root and most of what Letter Games has put out. I really like. I really like it when each faction genuinely actually feels completely yeah. different from one another, rather than it's basically the same
0: except your punches are fireballs, but mechanically,
1: it's the same thing.
0: It's the same thing, yeah. No, that sounds like they really captured the feel that you get in in games like that where you're playing and then all of a sudden somebody jumps in and joins you and you're like whoa what What did they they just do how did they do that and so you want to go and replay as that character because that looks awesome that sounds really cool that they were able to actually capture that feeling
1: yeah i I really it's uh, it's one of the coolest things that i've played in a game like this and you're right it absolutely does capture that feel of when you're playing multiplayer Diablo with somebody else and their character does some amazing attack, you're like, Oh snap, that's awesome. I want to do that. Okay. So what else did they do great in this? Um, loot for better or worse. They have basically created uh, the loot box mechanic in this game. And it oh, you is said Diablo.
2: So I assumed it was yes. just stacks on, it, stacks, it, it on stacks on stacks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Stacks on stacks. Loot drops heavy and fast in this. You're constantly going to be getting interesting and cool gear to put on your character. Uh, the, the most bananas thing they did is they... You don't just, like, find treasure when you're moving through the dungeon. You do. Mobs will drop weapons, and those are great. But you'll also find these little tokens that look like locks. And they're basically uh, in-game currency, if this were a, a video game. <laughs> and you collect in-game currency. Then after the level, you go to town, and you can cash these little chits in at the blacksmith in differing tier amounts. So if you turn in a uh, certain amount, you get a common... Yeah, it's, it's straight up Diablo color scheme. You get the the white commons, blue rares, purple legendary, and gold, the gold deck. You have enough of these little tokens you can draw from the gold deck. And it's just like opening a loot box, man. You turn in your tokens, you shuffle up the legendary deck, and you, woo, you hope for something good, and then it's like it's a dinky ring. It's terrible. I mean, but it's so fun. I mean, there are multiple decks of random loot, that you're getting, and it's all very interesting. That was the other thing that struck out to me. Their loot game is pretty strong in this. It's very rarely have I gotten a weapon that was just a uh, a clear, just numeric upgrade of everything I had, and it was an easy choice to put it in. I've never... It's not I haven't just yet...
2: roll one extra attack die or... Yes.
1: Yeah, I've not gotten just like, this sword is just clearly one attack die better. There's always these like little powers attached, like, okay, this sword... Does let you roll an extra attack die, but this other sword uh, lets you double the damage of certain rolls, or this thing lets you do this, or this thing can heal, or blah blah. So the choice of of what your loadout should look like actually becomes really interesting, and it becomes this crazy mini game because lots of loot is coming in, and you're finding yourself like, oh man, like what kind of like combo can I put together with like the right combination of helmets and weapons? And uh, it's great. So, it's probably some of the most solid implementation of like a loot system that I've seen in a dungeon crawl like this.
0: That sounds really fascinating because, yeah, I feel like loot is one of those things that has always been really hard. So, now is Massive Darkness run on an app?
1: It is not. That should probably explain that in today's world. This is totally uh, around the tabletop, no app driven interface. For better or worse, and I will mention some downsides to this in a moment. I don't want this to like review to have to go on forever, but there are some ways that I do think an app could help this in some respects. But, uh, no app. It does app. seem like there's a lot of. There's a lot of fiddliness.
0: Things to
1: keep track of. A lot of
0: bookkeeping.
1: Yes. A lot of bookkeeping. Well, um, I'll, I'll get into the combat in a second. I, I, this is one where an app could help you. But, um, it's not app driven at all. It's all around the table, um, but yeah, the loot's great. And uh, there, the other thing I like about it is there are sets. And now there were armor sets in Mass Darkness One, but there's more of them in this one, and it's more in the game to want to try to like collect them uh, because they give you really cool perks when you get a full matching set of like armor and weapons, just like you do in Diablo or any other action RPG. And so uh, unlocking bonuses that let you rifle through the loot decks to look for what you want instead of it being random is the thing mm. that you can unlock. And that becomes really like desirable as you start pulling together a set. Uh, the last thing I'll say that's really good, and this is a huge improvement or the first Massive Darkness if you play it, is that this game has a genuine campaign. Uh, the campaign component to Massive Darkness 1 was tacked on and it was really lame. It was mostly a game of one off scenarios. I didn't hate that. I've actually defended the original Master Darkness as being like it's sometimes nice just to play a single run of a thing and not be like, well, we're going to play this for a year. You yeah. Know? I
2: mean, because the, in the original, the campaign was basically you got a tenth of an experience point instead of yes. a full experience point. So it was the same game, just really slow. It took longer to get to the cool stuff.
1: But yeah. And the game wasn't balanced around that idea like uh, the missions are, are all sort of built around the idea that you start weak and get strong by the end and if you played original Massive Darkness as a campaign it meant that like the first five missions were hard instead of like the first 30 minutes of the game being hard right. you know what I mean because you leveled up so it, like it took a while before you, the game started becoming manageable and then on the back end it's like the last half of the campaign was like incredibly easy because you're at max level and you're just destroying everything so they have built a real campaign this time you level up more you level up at a more standard pace the game is balanced around that it tells a story there's like you know town phases in between uh it's not a great campaign it's missing like uh city events and like things that make it feel lively you know like Gloomhaven has. It's missing uh, any kind of a coherent story. There is story here. I'm not even going to attempt to summarize it. It's it's a, a bad implementation, I think, mostly of story. The, the darkness is massive and full of monsters. Yeah, yeah. In, in this massive darkness, there is evil, and we must go smash it. Um, I mean, that's all the story you really mean. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's a very... Uh, Fascinating implementation of various classes. They're fun to play with, with unique mechanics and gameplay systems. Really, really fun and interesting loot grind and uh, a decent campaign. Is there anything bad about the game? Well, sure. There are probably a few things. One, uh, Master Darkness 1 and 2 both suffer from very crunchy, calculating, heavy math uh, when you start to do these uh, battles every round especially as you start to level up and add more dice into your pool you're just throwing down a huge handful of like attack and defense dice for the enemy and then you've got to like look at this like sometimes like 9 or 12 dice that you just threw down and like try to come up with some calculation of like, okay, how many hits did I roll? How many shields did the enemy roll? Did they roll the little scratchy hand symbol that means I activate their power? Did I roll my shadow symbol that also means that my shadow power activates? Okay, now let me look at my items. Is this adding any swords to the attack? Is this adding any shields? Do I have any rerolls? After a while, like just calculating a round of combat becomes like an exercise in a lot of mental math. And like all three of us who are playing are like around. All right. Uh yeah, Okay. Okay. It looks like you got three hits. Good job. <laughs> okay. Let's roll, roll them up. So him again, uh, this guy's got 48 hit points. Oh, let's do again. No. So is that something you're going to love to do? I don't know. We've, we've made our peace with it and I've gotten into the rhythm of, of figuring it out, but this is a rare moment where I'm not like a diehard on app integration, but let me tell you, if there was like virtual dice that would just quickly calculate the results and then let you add in your modifiers or web items you want to use, oh man, that would be, I got to admit, that'd be pretty sweet. Um, I've got other minor, yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say, it seems like,
2: well, now that I say that, never mind, I was going to say that seems like something that someone could knock together, but now thinking about we have got, all these countless weapons and armor that would make it crazy you'd have to like scan each card into your and at that point you just need simon to make the app in the first place with a little qr code on each card yeah
1: yeah integrating all the character sheet yeah integrating all the weapons would be the bananas part of it but like um you know it could be done probably maybe uh you know overall though i'm loving this game and i think we're gonna keep playing the campaign and finish it um uh i do have minor quibbles like it this game still has some of the most like bland and uninteresting like dungeon tiles Mm. every dungeon crawl game has to solve for dungeon tiles in like a unique way like some people like that descent style where it's like lots of little windy roads that it kind of sprawls around on the table uh of darkness opts for just big square tiles with the dungeon drawn on it in a pretty bland and uninspired way. It's so bland and so like not well-defined that I actually have trouble seeing the, like, the path. Like I'm not even sure where my guy is supposed to be walking a lot. Uh, but also, it's not that big a deal because rapidly the dungeon is completely full of miniatures, which is the other thing about this game. It is slam-full of really great, Mon quality miniatures. You don't just fight single monsters in this game. You fight mobs that are filling up the board quickly. It's totally insane. Uh, this is a CMON game. It's expensive, it's exuberant, but they really really nailed some parts of the design on this one and I like it a lot.
0: That sounds awesome. I mean, it definitely sounds like you said like, you know, uh RPG that actually feels like it does some stuff. Something's different and really sets itself apart, which is really cool.
2: And you yeah. did have me uh start pull up and start looking at is Diablo on my Xbox? I... <laughs> Turns out it is, and it's on sale yeah. for the next three days.
0: Well, you know, yeah. you you always could download Diablo Immortal on your phone and uh, play play Oof. that. I've...
2: <laughs> yeah, but I could I've spend more than <laughs> I could spend more than what it would cost me to buy the All In Pledge for Massive Darkness Two on eBay right now, and not have as much fun. <laughs> that's
0: that's true. That's true. Well, that sounds awesome. That's definitely a game that the next time I visit Matt, we'll have to pull that out because that actually sounds really fun. I'd love to yeah, get man. to try out the, uh, some of the different things. So, But, yeah, so that's great. So those are a bunch of different stuff that we've been playing this summer that we've been getting into, and hopefully you found something that you might enjoy yourself. And that's gonna be it for this episode. Of course, like I said, we are gonna be continuing. We will try not to take quite so long a break. I can't promise it'll be every two weeks, but we will be doing this more consistently again. It's always fun. We I've missed this a lot. I miss talking with you guys. This was really fun. Yeah.
1: It was pleasant. It was. Why is everybody looking at me like that? <laughs> it it's was just, pleasant. It's
2: just, I, it's uh-huh. a, it's a hard tack for you to be sincere.
1: So yeah, we're studying was, your
2: micro expressions to like,
1: just, like see like when I'm gonna twist it into yeah. like an insult. Yeah. <laughs> no, this well, was Aaron this I, was I really, delightful.
0: I really enjoyed getting to see you again. This was great, Matt.
1: <laughs> I also you. enjoyed getting to see you. I mean, you look like Orlando Bloom's stunt uh, stunt <laughs> stunt, uh, stunt man from one of the from one of the parts of the Caribbean movies right now. But other than that, like it's great to see you. <laughs> You look like the non-union equivalent of Orlando Bloom. <laughs> for Orlando Gloom, when you when you can't get Orlando,
2: Orlando Gloom will star in your... So so Ian's what you get when you order Orlando Bloom on Wish? Oh my gosh. <laughs> All
0: right, we're going to wrap this up before the entire end of the episode just becomes let's roast Ian. Um, remember, uh, I, have you have missed you. I have editing control. I have editing control over this podcast. I can do whatever <laughs> I want. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and uh, we will be back soon of course Matt if people do want to get in touch with us where can they do that
1: they can find us on Instagram where we sporadically and with not a great deal of consistency post about what we're doing what we're playing if that sounds exciting to watch us uh, occasionally post on Instagram please go follow us there at Dice Pirates and send us a message Uh, Believe it or not, we will message you because we are still diligent about uh, responding to our messages, even if our posting has gotten a little wonky. So if you want to chat with us, if you had a comment, if you'd like to mention what you think Ian looks like, send us a message.
0: We will be back soon, of course, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But, of course, until then, we will be right here on the Dice Pirates. Until next time,
1: play more games!